we just open our hands? Just open your hands. Lord, before you and in your presence, as we cry along with the angels, living creatures, the elders, and all creation before you, holy, holy, holy. Lord, in that place, we come with hearts of submission and surrender to you and to your word. You who are the eternal living word, come now with your particular and specific word for this hour, for this day, for this people. We invite you now, King of kings, Lord of lords, holy, holy, holy you are. Bless your word now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to be back sharing the word with you. It's been a couple of weeks and uh, glad to be back. And this morning we are going to continue the study that we began right after Easter entitled Salt and Light, which is a study of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bible, would you please turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be uh, beginning Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Uh, You can find that on your device or there is a Bible located in front of you if you do not have one. Or if you brought yours today, please uh, come along with us, because we're going to be spending some time with the text today, salt and light. Now, as we've discovered over these last couple of months, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' brilliantly crafted message. It invites us to be discipled into the blessed and good life of his kingdom. As king, Jesus fulfills the law and reigns through his rule in our hearts, transforming us from the inside out. We live out this blessed and good life, not by slavishly following the rules and regulations of the law, but rather by freely and fully submitting and surrendering to the living law, Jesus. Now, in this message that Jesus gives to us, he moves us from rules and regulations to principles that get at our motive and our attitude, and we're going to see that played out this morning uh, in a very uh, particular and very powerful way in our lives. And so pay attention to this first one, because this really is uh, very much in line with what we're going to be discovering again this morning. It also moves us from a righteous destination to a journey towards a righteous destiny, and there is a difference. Because the scribes and Pharisees, who were the most religious folks at the time, believed that, you know, you could come to a place on your own, in your own strength and ability, where you kept the law in such a way that you had actually arrived at full righteousness, where uh, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, continually brings us back to a, a recognition that, you know, we really can't do this on our own, that we must have him, and we're really moving not towards a destination, but towards a trajectory, a destiny, in our lives. Thirdly, we are moving from sin management to discovering and following God's will. When we're following after the law, we're simply seeking, and the scribes and Pharisees were trying to manage sin, um, and it became really a, an exercise in futility. Instead, we are called to come alongside of Him and to follow His will and His purposes. And finally, it moves us from individual self-interest to community other interest. Um, this is a, a critical and, and sort of a, 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 an awakening understanding in my own spirit as I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount is just how important this is to the community at large. Uh, so Jesus isn't simply about 
helping you have a better life, though certainly, you know, it is part of understanding that blessed and good life of his kingdom, but that blessing and that goodness is not simply for you, it's for the sake of those around you, it's for the sake of the broader community, it's part of the larger work that he is doing in the lives of his Uh, the people who belong to his kingdom. So he's moving us from individual self-interest to community other interest. Now this morning, we're going to be looking at the issue of true devotion. And Jesus uh, gets after that in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be unpacking that together this morning. I want to, first of all, give us sort of as a context, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, And chapter 6, verse 1. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, just sit with that for a moment. Remember, I I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I, I said, you know, everybody loves the Sermon on the Mount. But the question that I have for us is, have you actually read the Sermon on the Mount? I think we love it until we actually start interacting with it and realize, oh my. And this is one of those oh my verses. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now often we understand that scripture as kind of putting a closure on the the portion of scripture that we just looked at over the last several weeks. And it certainly is true that it is that. Over the last several weeks we looked at the issues of True reconciliation, true desire, true oneness, true words, true justice, and true love as we unpacked the various paragraphs found in Matthew chapter 5. And at the end of all of that, after Jesus has spoken about true love and spoken about loving our enemies, and then he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But it also not only acts as a closure to that previous passage, it also opens up the next portion of our scripture. In verse verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, you know, because because please recognize that in the scrolls, in the original writings, there weren't chapter and verses. Those were added centuries later. Okay, so sometimes you're reading along and and, and you you follow the chapter break and the, the verse break, but But that's not there in the original scrolls, the the Greek, or in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, or the Aramaic scrolls. It wasn't there. So be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in Heaven. That word, practicing your righteousness, is the same word for devotion, Don't practice your devotion unto the Lord in the specific acts or practices of righteousness in front of others to be seen, in front of others to be seen, with that purpose to be seen by them. You you know, it's, it's impossible to never practice your acts of righteousness before folks, but it's the motivation of the heart that he's going to be getting after. See, Jesus here shows us the source of true devotion by contrasting a righteousness that is energized by rituals that are rooted in law versus a righteousness that is energized by practices rooted in love. And he illustrates this contrast by focusing on these 
three religious observances which were understood as essential for if you were a, a, a practicing Jew, you were required to do these. And, and by the way, just as a, as a, as a side note, uh, in the Muslim faith today, um, you are also required to do these three acts of devotion. So these, these are found and come out of the Old Testament scriptures, and we'll reference a little bit of that during our time. So there's almsgiving, there is prayer, and there is fasting. These are the, the three that Jesus now is going to unpack for us and get at the issues of the motives of our hearts. And again, think of this. He's contrasting rituals that are rooted in law versus practices that are rooted in love. Okay, so let's take a look at each of these and discover some things and allow the Lord to dig into our hearts. First of all, we have the illustration of almsgiving. So are you there? Are you there in Matthew 6 yet? All right. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. If you're still here, say, I'm here. Okay, beautiful. All right. So let's look at verses 2 to 4 of chapter 6. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, we understand that almsgiving was something that was required by the law. If we go back into the Old Testament scriptures, you will find a number of different places where we are required, according to to scripture, to give to those who are uh, in need around us. I mean, there are simply... Um, and almost endless scriptures that speak of taking care of those who are less fortunate than we are. And no matter where we are and what level of need we're in, there is virtually always someone around us who is in greater need than we are. So, so almsgiving was, was a part of, a significant part of sort of a way of expressing your devotion, your righteousness before God. Now, those who were, and, and he says, don't be like the hypocrites in the synagogue doing, you know, uh, doing the synagogues and on the streets. And he's directly addressing here again the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who were the sort of the, the lawmakers and then the law keepers. And he says, you know, what they do is they get into the streets and they make a big fanfare of that. You know, they're, they're just doing it with trumpets and they're announcing how generous they are and how... how uh, you know, what, all that they're giving and all of that. And he says, no. No. He really goes after the motivation of our hearts. And so, so there's, a, there's a question that I'd like us to sit with this morning. And so um, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot. There's going to be three questions that are going to come up over the course of, of the study here this morning that I'd like us to just sort of sit with. They get at this issue of motivation and devotion, true devotion before God. Am I motivated primarily by duty or delight, by have to or get to, by look at me or by look at God? A wonderful scripture that kind of digs in deeper into this is 
found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This will be familiar to many of you, but let's take a look at that. So if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians 9. It won't be showing up on the screen, so you'll actually have to look it up and follow along with me. I'm reading from the uh, international version here. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. For he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, and you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service, listen to this, that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So clearly here, and I, and I love that, God loves a cheerful, don't give, I, here, here's, let's go back for there for one moment, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I, I remember hearing the story of a little boy, and it was offering time, and his dad, and his dad was, was pulling out his wallet and, and sort of grimacing as he was doing for, and the, and the little boy said, Dad, Dad, the Bible says that you're not to give with convulsions. You're not giving out of compulsion. It's not a duty. Giving is not a duty. It's a delight. It's not a, oh, I ought to give. It's a get to give. It's, and it's not about looking at me. It's about looking at God. But I really do think there's a, a reorientation in our minds. Sometimes... We think, oh my goodness, you know, oh, there's, 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 there's three offerings happening this morning, or whatever it is. Well, there really was this morning, I guess, actually. So there was your regular offerings, tithes, your regular gifts. There was opportunity to give to our Mission Mexico team, and there's opportunity to do these seat, seats. And, and in my heart, I go, yes, more opportunities to give. Let there be a uh, in, in your heart, let there be a joy attached to that. You get to do it out of delight. You, you get to. You don't have to. You delight. It's not simply duty. It's, and it's looking at God. And so even when I say that, don't, don't look at me, but look at God and give thanks to God for his goodness. He's, he's blessed us. He's blessed you. He's blessed me. He's blessed us with the opportunity to give. What joy there is in that. 
And so that motivation of the heart. Second, there's the illustration of prayer. Let's go on. Come back to your scripture this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Now we're going to look at verses 5 to 8. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they heard they are hurt, will be hurt because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now I want to pause for a moment and, and, and come back for just a second to a, couple, uh, to a word that we might overlook here. It says, when you give, when you pray. So again, the expectation is this is just a part of This is a part of the life, your life as a follower of Christ. Giving, praying, and we're going to come to fasting in a moment. Those are part of the ongoing rhythms of a disciple, a mature disciple of Christ. If you want to grow into fullness, into maturity as a believer, um, it's when you give, it's when you pray, it's when you fast. These aren't optional activities. Now, we're going to come to this issue of the hypocrites in a moment, so I'm not going to pause there for a moment, but I want to come back to, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, and the word there is into your storeroom, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, that doesn't mean you cannot ever pray, but he's saying, again, he's speaking, he's going after motivation and attitude of your heart. And he says, go into the storeroom of your heart. Now, in a typical home of that time, there was only one room that had a door on it. I mean, bedrooms didn't have doors, kitchens didn't have doors, living, you know, there wasn't You know, in America, we got a door for everything. There was one room that had a door in it. It was the place where you kept basically your food and and, and the things that you needed for your daily life. Your food, your drink, and all of those things were found in the storeroom. It would be like the the old cellar, you know, in in an old farmhouse that had the door that would shut and lock. Because that that was the room where you would receive true nourishment. St. John of the Cross, speaking of that room, put it this way, he says, in the interior wine cellar of my beloved I drank. There he gave me his breast. There he taught me a knowledge with most delightful taste. In return, I gave him myself, excluding nothing. There I promised to be his bride. It's in that inner place, the secret place that he longs to meet with us. So the question becomes, and here's the second question that we get to sit with this morning is this, am I motivated by rules or relationship, fear or trust, look at me or look at God? Is my devotion really about following a set of rules? Do I find that I have to to follow a certain 
you know, and, and, and different folks are, are wired in different ways. And, and so for some people using patterns and different things, and Jesus is going to teach us a pattern. We're not going to be looking at that this morning, by the way. We're going to be doing the Lord's Prayer in Advent this year. So, so we're, going, we're, we're not going to be looking at that in depth this morning. But there are patterns in different ways. But if those pattern, patterns can be helpful for us to keep us on track, if they become rules, if they become something that, that we sort of obsessively have to follow because we're somehow trying to make ourselves acceptable to God in that way, we've totally missed out on the deeper piece of relationship with him. He's really after relationship with you and with us. He loves us so much. He wants to spend time with us. Again, not because we ought to, but because we get to. Not because it's duty, but because it's delight. Not because it's simply following a set of rules, but it's out of relationship with him. Secondly is this issue of fear or trust. I think a lot of times, and this is, I I mean, this is as much for me as for anybody else. But in 30 years of ministry, I've observed that a lot of our devotion can sometimes be motivated out of fear. We really are afraid, and so we, out of our fear, we, we end up kind of just focusing on trying, again, in a sense, trying to appease God. I mean, millions and millions, untold millions of, of people around the world function religiously out of a place of fear. I mean, that's where he says here, look at what he says. You don't have to keep on babbling like pagans. They had their mantras, their ways of, of saying it. If they, just, if they named all the right gods at all the right places at all the right times, and sometimes, unfortunately, that has become a part of the way that we can live our Christian life as well. We think that if I just follow the right formula, God will have to hear me and give me what I want. That's fear, not trust. That's rules, that's not relationship. He just wants you to come and bring your heart to him. He wants you to to come and open your life before him. And again, it's not look at me and look at how eloquent I can be. You know, it's not that he's... Jesus is saying, you can't pray a long prayer. He's saying, don't simply pray in such a way, repeating yourself and babbling in such a way, because you're trying desperately. It's almost like the, if you, if you remember um, the picture of Elijah and the prophets of Baal dancing before God and cutting themselves and trying to do all these things in order to get their God to hear. And Elijah just comes and says, well, here we are in that place of trust in him. All right, one more example. Go with me now to the illustration of fasting. Again, we're still in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full, But when you fast, 
Put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, there's a play on words here that we don't really get in the, in the English about this, this when they disfigure. It's actually when they seek to make their faces invisible, but they're really making their faces invisible in a very visible way. They're altering their appearance. You know, I'm just I'm into my fast. But did you catch this? Three times Jesus talks about this issue of reward. And here's the last question that I want us to sit with this morning related to this. And this is something I've certainly discovered in my own experience with fasting over many, many years is that the rewards come at a different time and in a different way than I could ever possibly imagine or expect. In fact, they're very rarely directly connected, it seems, to, you know, the the right now thing that I may be focusing on. It seems like God, I don't know, it's just the way it works. All right, So, so it really does get after this issue of motivation in our hearts. So here's the question, am I motivated by human approval or God's affirmation? Am I doing my performance for the crowd or am I doing it for an audience of one? Where do I receive my affirmation from? I mean, human affirmation, Jesus does not say that human affirmation or, the, or, or I should say the need for affirmation is wrong. It's where am I going about, how am I going about getting that affirmation, that approval? Am I looking for a temporary achievement or a lasting legacy? Look at me or look at God. Am I looking for a temporary achievement, something that has some significance right here in the here and now? In the here and now, it's not that it's wrong, but where's my true motivation? What am I actually looking for? Am I looking for that lasting legacy? There's a beautiful little story. We're almost done here this morning. There's a beautiful story. It's a, 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 um, a Jewish tale. It's titled, If Not Higher. And this kind of gets at this whole issue of reward and kind of this whole issue of motivation and the things that we've been talking about. It's called, If Not Higher. There was once a beloved rabbi who disappeared every Friday. Unable to find him anywhere, the devoted villagers boasted that their rabbi must ascend to heaven every Friday so that he could talk with God. One day, day, however, a newcomer to their small village heard the stories and scoffed. People don't ascend to heaven, he mocked. I'll tell you where your rabbi really goes on Friday mornings. So the next Friday morning, the newcomer crept into the woods by the rabbi's house, quietly watched the rabbi rise, say his prayers, and much to the onlooker's surprise, dressed in the clothes of a common peasant. The rabbi walked into the woods, chopped down a small tree, and cut it into firewood. Then the rabbi carried a bundle of wood to a shack in the poorest section of the village. An old woman and her sick son gladly received the bundle of wood for the coming week. They thanked the anonymous woodsman, unaware that he was the rabbi in disguise. The skeptical newcomer, deeply moved by the rabbi's secret goodness, became the rabbi's disciple. And now, whenever the villager said, on Friday mornings, our rabbi ascends to heaven, he would quietly add, If not, higher. If not, higher. What prize, what reward are we going for? If not, higher. 
So let's come back for a moment to our initial verse, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here's kind of my final takeaway for this morning as we prepare to sort of respond to the message today. This exhortation to perfection, which in Greek the word is teleos, means a spiritual maturity. It's not simply a moral flawlessness. It's something actually even deeper and fuller and richer than that. Because again, it's not about sin management. It's about fulfilling and fully following the will and purposes of God. It's an invitation to move from illusion to reality, from hypocrisy, which is self and other deception, but it really begins with self-deception, to integrity, which is authenticity before God and man through transformation in Christ. Now, that's a lot of words. Okay, so let me just quickly unpack that for us. Part of what the spiritual life is about, part of what growing in maturity in the Lord, part of what growing in true devotion is, is it moves us beyond illusion to actual reality. You can't, you know, it's, it's moving beyond loving people in the abstract to loving people in the here and now. It's moving us beyond sort of the illusions about prayer and fasting to the realities of it. It moves us out of this place of, of sort of, um, you know, religion is, is highly illusory, okay? Relationship with God is very realistic. Did you know that? We live in a lot of, we live in an age and a state, you know, where there's a lot of sort of illusion going on, smokes and mirrors, which really have nothing to do with the reality of a life lived with God. From hypocrisy, which really begins with self-deception. I mean, we think of always hypocrisy as trying to deceive others, but actually you only try to deceive others when you first have somehow attempted to or maybe even mastered the art of deceiving yourself. And he wants to pull off that mask, and Jesus is like the only... 13 times Jesus talks about hypocrisy. In fact, he's kind of the one that brings hypocrisy into the common vocabulary, particularly and for sure in the context of religious life. Because he's saying, don't live with this mask of self-deception. Come into this place of authenticity before God and man. He wants to pull off that illusion, pull off that hypocrisy. I've said it before, and I'll probably say it every time you hear me preach on hypocrisy. We're all hypocrites. People say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And I say, well, yeah, it's kind of full of people. As if the world isn't full of hypocrites. I mean, come on. Let's be real. (laughs) But the question is, am I allowing the Lord to keep removing that mask so that I'm moving towards a deeper place of authenticity in him before God and men? But let me remind you that this is an upside-down, inside-out work. This is an inside-out work. It is not a work that is done by gritting your teeth and going, okay, I'm going to be more authentic now. It's that fully submitting and surrendering to Christ. 
Here's how Paul put it. Here's our final scripture this morning. Philippians 3. I love this scripture. I hope you do too. I'd invite you to read it and reflect on it this week in the context of the message this morning. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature, and there's that the perfect, who are who are moving in that direction, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. So live up to what God has already done in you and keep pressing forward to the fullness of what he wants to do and complete in you. Earlier in Philippians says, or later in Philippians says, he who begins a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. So it's God's work at, in his people that's moving us towards true devotion so that our acts of righteousness, whatever those are, and the three examples here this morning of giving and praying and fasting are done not out of duty but out of delight, not out of ought to but out of get to, not out of rule but out of relationship with him. That these acts are done not out of fear but out of trust. Not looking for man's approval, but for God's affirmation. Not simply looking for sort of a temporary attainment, but a lasting legacy. Not about, look at me, but look at God. See, I think we, yeah, somewhere we we have to move to that place of the grace of self-forgetfulness where, you know, we're not the center of the story. We're not the, you know, we're no longer the center of the universe. He is. And in that place, our life begins to be radically reoriented. And the workings of our heart begin to radically change because of the motivation shifts and changes because of his work of grace in us and through us. We're going to sing one song directly in response to this word today. And perhaps God might be piercing your heart as I know that he has pierced mine in the context of even preparing this message. And you desire to respond to him today. You can do that right where you are, but this altar area will be open if you just want to come and open your heart to him today here at the altar be welcome to do that we're going to be singing um, the song holiness is what I long for take my I, I love this take my life and form it take my mind transform it take my will and conform it to yours to yours oh lord if we could stand together this morning and as we sing this song if you do want to specifically respond by coming to the altar you are welcome to do that to open your heart and your life to him I invite you to come and then I'll be praying a prayer of benediction as we go out today
released in him, blessed by him. Sing this as your prayer today. Sing this as the heart cry, the desire before him. Just open your hands again. Prepare to receive the benediction this morning. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. Jesus, we offer ourselves again to you here in this house as living sacrifices before you. That you would do the work of transformation of our lives, both individually and corporately, God. So that the fullness of your beauty may be displayed And that the fullness of your favor may be released to a wounded and waiting world. So now, be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go! with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life. Be blessed, people of God. In Jesus' name, amen.